Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Happy New Year. Happy 2014. Kurt and I are back after a little hiatus. I know that you were all on pins and needles wondering when the next episode of the podcast would air, but... It would be no shock to you that we were really lazy for a couple of weeks, eating, which is a favorite pastime of ours. Kurt, it's good to talk to you. How was the holiday? Are you ready to take no prisoners in 2014, or you still kind of have the holiday hangover? <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm still probably getting that buzz and the cobwebs out of my brain after getting two weeks of eating, hanging out with family, watching lots of movies. Having a lot of fun. It was great. I could hear the people screaming, wanting the podcast, but we had to take that time off to refresh ourselves and get back in the moment. But we're back. We're excited to have you. Let everyone know about the podcast. But nothing about me, Steve. I think you have bigger news than anybody. Oh, you want to talk about cobwebs? Yeah, my wife had a baby over the Christmas break. And everything went great. It's our third, and he was a tank. Nine pounds, six ounces. Oh, man. Nine yeah. pounds. Yeah. I guess what I know is, what what does that have to do with my cobwebs? <laughs> it, it means I have no sleep whatsoever. Uh, okay, <laughs> now I put it together. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sleep whatsoever. He, I mean, he's huge. He came out of there with a helmet and shoulder pads on, ready Got to roll. a linebacker, or is it a defensive end? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see how tall he is. But uh, he's a big kid, and... Hey, yo, you're dealing with those holiday cobwebs with no sleep. It, I think there's some study at Harvard that showed that holiday cobwebs and no sleep, it takes longer. Maybe I made that up. I don't know. I don't know about that one, but hey, I, for all the <laughs> listeners, I'll say congratulations. That's awesome news. Well, thank you very much. We're glad to have him and uh, glad to be back on the horse here doing the podcast. It's something that we really enjoy doing. And good luck to all of you out in the Midwest and the in the East Coast freezing to death. I mean... We were complaining about how cold it was last time we were on here, and we got nothing on on the Midwest <laughs> of the East Coast. Tundra. Do we get to blame global warming, or what's going on? No, it's climate change now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. I needed to verbally package that, but it is cold out there. I guess they say don't leave your house, because when that wind starts kicking in with that humidity, it's uh, brutal. Oh, yeah, I watched the San Francisco 49ers versus the Green Bay Packers yesterday, and that looked cold. My wife said, where are they playing that game? Why is the grass brown? Because it's dead. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty hard-headed up there. Like, we're going to have grass. We're going to have grass. I think it was pretty much hard mud because there really wasn't much grass there, and the grass that was there was dead. But at least they don't have any more games to play on that field. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that looked cold. I, I can't believe that they're out there with short sleeves, some of those people. But that's why I'm not in the NFL. That's... Uh... That's why I'm sitting here in my cushy office doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, some of those guys. Well, at the end, when the one was doing the interview, she's all, you're shaky. So, yeah, it's cold. Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, go in. So I guess once you start running, that's when the cold starts hitting and uh, you don't have much time to get warm again. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, yeah, it was a great holiday weekend. Uh, tons of movies, tons of football and food. And now it's back to real life and I'm okay with it. Although usually in... About two or three weeks into January, I get tired of the cold, and I kind of say, is it June yet? But we'll slug through it here, and we've got a lot of great podcasts planned for you this year. 
And we've got some good mail from you, uh, encouraging mail that you're liking the show. And we certainly appreciate that and, and encourage you to send more comments or questions. And it doesn't even have to be good mail. I mean, you could tell us how horrible we are at this. We would love to hear from you regardless. Just email us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And that's where you can send show ideas and questions and all that fun stuff. And we are on iTunes. We are on BlackBerry. We are in Windows Marketplace, Stitcher, TuneIn, a few others that uh, I can't even remember. But you can always do it the old-fashioned way and go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can play the podcast episodes directly from there and see quick little write-up summaries on each show. So, there we go. There's the, the pleasantries and the food banter out of the way. A, a curt well, Introductory credits, we'll call it. Introductory right. credits. Before That's... the movie starts rolling, we got to do, hey, there's the credit. Uh, send us your mail. Send us your hate mail. We'd love to hear from you. We've heard some good stuff. Do appreciate it. Yes, we certainly do. We certainly do. And we've got, you know, it's New Year's resolution time. The, I saw a funny infographic the other day. It had a, a picture of Frodo from Lord of the Rings, and he had a very fearful look on his face. And, and the caption was, brace yourself. The New Year's resolution gym people are coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to stay away from the gym for the first two weeks. And then maybe the resolution will be, okay, I'll start January 15th. You don't have to endure the crowds. Yeah, yeah. They, they start thinning out by late January. So take courage, everybody. If you're a, a bona fide gym rat who can't find any availability on the machines at the gym, they'll go away and uh, they'll be back again in a year. You'll see them for a few weeks again. But we're all setting those kinds of goals and and trying to do better for the new year. And you uh, came across a pretty interesting study you were telling me about, about body image and how there's a key component in your social life that impacts how you perceive your your body image. And and we're going to be talking about some social stuff today, so I thought it'd be good to bring this up. Well, body image is interesting because we either rate ourselves more physically attractive and fit than we actually are, or some people take the opposite stance where they think they're a lot bigger or not as good looking as they actually are. And this came from the British Psychological Society. It's kind of an interesting article about how our relationships tend to foster positive or negative body image. So when we have a great relationship with somebody, we actually perceive ourselves as having a better body image. So basically, the new research finds that if you're satisfied with your relationship, then you're probably more positive about your life. So they did this research with college students and others that were married, basically through the age of between 20 and 45. And all were asked questions about their weight, their diet, their self-consciousness, body image, and self-esteem. And it was found that the more satisfied a woman was in a relationship, the more likely she was to be happy with her body regardless of whether or not she was a weight considered to be ideal. Basically, satisfied participants also scored high in terms of self-esteem and lack of self-consciousness. So this is important. We have talked about this before, that when you're in a great relationship, you look for things around you in a different way. You look at things in a more positive light. Versus when you're in a negative relationship, you're looking for everything negative, not only in that relationship, but in your life and in your job and what's going wrong. And that's important with any aspect of persuasion and influence. You walk into a hotel. If the first two or three things go wrong, you're looking for everything that goes wrong. We've talked about that versus if everything goes right, you're looking for things that go right. So bottom line, and you know this, we've talked about it, that mood matters. When you're in a good mood, it's easier for you to influence people. And when they're in a good mood, they're easier to be influenced. And it can be a simple thing as the relationship they have with other people, what they've eaten, their blood sugar level, did they exercise, 
what happened that day? Did their football team win or lose? All these things are factors of subconscious triggers in the world of persuasion and influence. If only there was some kind of mood detector that you could hold up and show you, hey, this guy's in a bad mood. <laughs> Don't bother today. But it's funny, that whole mood thing. It's so intuitive to us in the social side of things. I remember, you know, as a kid, you're thinking about asking dad for something or asking mom for something. Oh, don't ask. He's having a really bad day. Don't ask him about that today. Right. And and it had never occurred to a lot of people that will in persuasion, don't do it either. Don't try to persuade somebody if they're in a rotten mood or at least change your, your style, because that definitely matters. Exactly. In fact, a study shows that we are intuitive about that. So these college students were in this study. They pick up the phone because it was ringing and it said, hey, so-and-so. Are they there? Could you go get them? I've got really bad news. And they go get the person like, uh, phone's for you. You got to get the phone. I don't know what it is. Phone's for you. Versus when they picked up the phone says, hey, is so-and-so there? I've got really good news. I need to share it with them. Can you go get them? They would go to that person and say, hey, the phone's for you. They've got really good news. You need to talk to them. It's just naturally part of us that we distance ourselves from the bad news. Remember, the messenger gets shot yeah, sometimes. Right. Versus we want to be around the good news and be part of that association. On one hand, it's intuitive. But on the other hand, a lot of people don't think about it. They're so nervous about persuading influence. They do their data dump. they got to do it now. They're not reading the body language. And there are a lot of things we can read into the environment, the person, what's going on, to see if it's a good time to persuade or it's a good time to make an appointment to come back later and try to persuade. Yeah, that's good information. I can't believe that they just called. Hey, I've got really bad news. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they got to do something with all this money that all the studies are doing, right? They just came up with these wild studies. Like, <laughs> I guess, yeah. All those grants, they're they're going somewhere. And so, yeah, okay. Well, good. Kurt, anything else to add on that before we get into the topic that we wanted to cover today? Well, the last thing about this, I mentioned a little bit earlier, is that your mood matters too. If you try to cover up a bad mood, cover up that fight, cover up that bad relationship, cover up that thing that happened, it comes through in subconscious triggers. So great persuaders have the ability to go from a negative mood to a positive mood very fast. Maybe you got off the phone with a really ornery person that just sucked the life out of you. You got to take a second, get back in the game. You see this in sports all the time. All right, so I threw an interception, so I blew it. You get back in the game, and you make it happen. Now, we, we haven't talked about this part of it, so I'll, I'll throw you a curveball here. Do it. How would, how would somebody do that? You're having a rotten day. Maybe your kid got sent to the principal office, and you got your salary cut at work or whatever it is that makes a rotten day for you, okay? And now you've got to go back out on some sales calls. How do you just get in a good mood all of a sudden? What would you do there? Oh, caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> that helps me, actually. <laughs> well, and everyone's different here, but you have to realize, okay, what works for you? I'll just throw some things out there. The first thing is, is you have to realize, okay, I'm out of the game. I got to do something. And maybe it's just a quick walk. Maybe it's getting to the sunshine. Maybe it's talking to a wife or spouse or to a positive person. Maybe it's looking at your vision board, reading your goals. Listen to some personal development that really amps you up. Maybe it is getting some coffee or a, a monster or something that's caffeinated or getting something to eat. Maybe it's a, a snack in your drawer that's only reserved for that special time where you need to get back in the game. I don't care what it is, but you need to know that it's happening. Have a little ritual. Take your couple of minutes. Don't dial again. Don't go to another meeting. Get back in the zone. You figure out what works for you and use it. And it could be any one of those or all of the above. You know what works for you. Pick a couple of those, get back in the game, and you'll see a huge difference in your ability to persuade and influence. 
Yeah, I think that that's pretty amazing that something as simple as acknowledging that, hey, I'm not me right now. I need to do something. Because there's that book, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. I love the book. And emotional intelligence is it's such a premium in our society because I think you'd be shocked to find how many people can't acknowledge that, that I'm in a crappy mood right now and something has to be done about it. They just go through their day like a loose cannon acting all emotional to everybody and really killing their efforts as a salesperson. It it reminds me of those Snickers bars commercials where <laughs> you'll see, if you, you know what I'm talking about? The right, ones, talking about, yeah. yeah, like they're, they're a bunch of guys on a road trip, but in the back there's some woman and they'll usually have it be some kind of a diva or a, a singer and she's carrying on and, and they look at her and go, hey, you're not you. And she eats a Snickers, and then it pans back, and it's a guy. <laughs> it just turns Those into are... a diva when he's hungry, right? <laughs> Those are great commercials. And that just kind of clarifies it for everyone. We have to know that it's happening to us. Get in control. Get focused. Think about it. And realize that you know maybe it's a little blood sugar. Maybe it's not enough sleep. All these things are a factor here. And if we could just be aware, like, okay, get back in the zone. And some great persuaders, whether it's going into a physical appointment or over the phone, they take a second. They take a minute to get back into the game, to focus, to do it, so they can have the results that they want. That's a good point. And there was a book I read probably two years ago called The Power of Full Engagement by Jim Lohr. And it was a great book. I, I would highly recommend it to anybody listening because he d he did various studies on on high-performing athletes and kind of goes through the fact of when you're performing at full speed all the time, eventually you're you're going to crash. The body and the mind just cannot be at full speed with the pedal of the metal all the time. And athletes, he found, that are, are really good competitors were able to kind of systematically disengage. Like he measured some of them during tennis matches, and he found that a lot of them during the break would listen to music or they'd had some kind of a ritual they would do that allowed them to completely step away from and forget about tennis or golf or whatever sport it was that they were playing. And because they did that, they disengaged and did something that they liked to do. When they came back, they were that much stronger, that much more rich, recharged. And so as a sales executive, as a business owner, whatever it is you are, he was making the point that throughout your day, you need to stop what you're doing. And do something that you love that allows you to completely forget about work for a few minutes. Because that really allows you to tap into your brain. And I think he had talked about in the book how when they did this, a lot of times a problem that they were dwelling on or trying to solve just came to them when they were in that moment of disengagement because it allowed everything to relax. It allowed their brain to back off a little. And he kind of accessed that subconscious mind which is a plethora of information. And I've noticed that to be very effective. So I think that probably these times when you're really stressed, people want to attack the problem. They want to get after it. But in a lot of cases, the solution may be to do what you say. Just disengage. Do something that you love to for a little bit so that your brain can rest and then come back and think about this with more power. In fact, I was just listening to, I believe it's called Mental Toughness Training. You know, I'm a big personal development junkie, and I think it's the same author, actually, because I've read that book, too, about... How you talk about professional quarterbacks, how they just throw an interception and then you, their camera goes to the sidelines or joking with someone, they're smiling and all the fans are, oh, you should be more serious, but they've disengaged. Humor is one of those things that gets people back in the zone. 
But when they need to go back on that field, they have their ritual, they have their mindset, they have their saying, they have whatever they need to do to get back in that zone when they need it. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about football, and you and I both watched the Indianapolis Colts game. For those of you that don't care about this whatsoever, I apologize. Uh, do something else. Disengage for a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ten <laughs> seconds, disengage, go. Yeah, but, you know, Andrew Luck threw three interceptions in that game, and the announcers were talking about how he had such a short memory. And we were, we were talking about a play he made where he recovered a fumble on the goal line and ran it in. It was a just a crazy play. I mean, you couldn't make the stuff up that you were seeing. And it's because he can just forget the mistake that he made and uh, move on. And I, I think that's telling for, for our lives. I mean, we need to learn from our mistakes, not dwell on them. And that's why I love that famous sales saying that you've heard it if you've been in sales. Some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? Just like, okay, you're not going to do that. You can't persuade everybody 100% of the time. We can go to the streets of New York City and hand out $100 bills and try to persuade people to take $100 bills because we want to help them out. We want to help them with the economy. And I guarantee you, a lot of people would not take those $100 bills. I could not persuade someone to take a $100 bill from me. That <laughs> would be hard to do, especially <laughs> in, in New York. You know, one thing that would make it easier to do, and that's it's the topic that I wanted to talk about today, is the law of social validation. And... Some people may call this social proof. However, I don't think social proof really validates it, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, okay. Yeah, because t tell us a little bit about the law of social validation, because you kind of coined this phrase. What do you mean by that? Basically, that the greater number of people find any idea or product or service correct, the more idea be correct in our minds. We change our opinions and behaviors consistent with the social norms. And basically, we seek to find what others are doing to validate what we're doing. If we're not sure what to do, if we go to a party, not sure to act and what to do, we look around to validate our behaviors. If we're not sure what movie to see or what restaurant we go to, we ask our friends or family. We go on to Yelp to look it up. Basically, social validation compels us to change our behaviors, attitudes, and opinions with everyone else. It's it's not perfect, but it's safe. We walk into a restaurant and it's empty. Uh, that's kind of eerie to us. We want to be around other people because if I'm a persuader, an influencer, with a, let's say I'm, I'm selling a product, I've got something to gain. I've got commission to gain. So it's easier for people to believe other people a lot than it is to believe me because I have something to gain. And that's where social validation comes in. It's very simple is that we believe others more than the persuader because the persuader has something to gain. So if you're in a low credibility and a low trust situation, you have to borrow that credibility and trust from other people. And you do that via social validation. Okay. So when we perceive that society is accepting or agrees with what we're doing or, or they're doing it too, our likelihood of doing it as well goes up, correct? That simple. They did a study at Stanford with the downloads on the internet. They took top 100 downloads. They took number, I think it was 100, artificially inflated it to number one, and it stayed at number one because if it's number one, it must be good. If it's on the New York Times bestseller list, it must be good. If there's five stars, it must be good. It's just an easy shortcut that, for the most part, it works out. Yeah, it's definitely a shortcut. I have a Kindle uh, by Amazon, and I like to read. And so when I'm in the mood for a new book, I'll get onto the Kindle store there. And they have a section that has recommendations for you. I look at that, but more often than not, I, I look under what's popular in the Kindle store. And I look, and I see all the popular books. And I pick one of those usually, because I'm thinking, hey, well, everybody else seems to like these. I don't want to spend all that time 
trolling around the store looking for something and reading all kinds of descriptions, the fact that other people are buying the book is enough for me to, to convince myself to, to take the plunge and to buy that book. And it can be that simple, although it does backfire. A lot of people on Amazon get their competitors to write negative reviews about their product or their book, and that can hurt people. You have the, I don't know, you travel, do you use Yelp at all? It, I hope our listeners know what that Absolutely. is. Absolutely, and it carries so much more credibility. For listeners, what that is is basically you're in an area, you hit Yelp on your phone, and it tells you all the restaurants or whatever you want. Let's say it's restaurants in that area, and it has all the evaluations, how many I think it's stars does it have. And what's happening on a bad, sour, negative note is someone will go to someone's restaurant and say, hey, bake me a sandwich, and if you don't give it to me for free, I will give you a bad review on Yelp, which is a terrible thing to do. But that restaurant owner's hands are tied because one negative review probably takes 20, 30, 40 positive reviews to kind of refute that one negative review. They know the power of it. They know why people are coming. So I'm not giving you guys... And the listeners, any ideas? I'm just saying, wow, there's some people out there that really take this to a stream. They know the power of this, and they're using it in a very negative and unethical way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of study to be done on this topic because it's only within the last probably five to ten years max that we've been able to interact with each other socially like this and, and share so much about our product experiences with so many people so quickly. And you're seeing some of the negative things come to light. I've used Yelp before. And I've noticed that a lot of times restaurants will write reviews about themselves pretending to be Joe Schmo, who went in there and ate. And you can tell. I mean, it's yeah. just a horribly written. Like, yeah. I went to XYZ restaurant it, in... And it was perfect. Yeah. The ambience and the food yeah. was so good. I fell off my chair. And I, I was greeted it. by a pleasant waterfall and a wonderful hostess with a brilliant smile who showed me the exquisite and plentiful <laughs> options and I'm going, oh, come on. You are not a person. You know, the cook in the books there. Oh, yeah, it's bad. You can tell. And so it's it's backfiring from the business standpoint, too. And I personally have trained myself to look for the real reviews. Like I was booking a vacation the other day, and I I like TripAdvisor, which is another social proof, right? You want to see what other people say. And And some people are just so completely negative. Other people are over the top, positive. And I like to go with the real world stuff, and it goes along with what you said before of when you're building trust. It's sometimes it's helpful to have, you know, maybe a small negative thing introduced uh, because it's real. And I know people from the old school of sales, they say never introduce a negative, never say anything negative. It's not really the world that we live in. You want to be able to control it because it's going to come up due to things like Yelp. So if somebody says, I went to this resort or I went to this restaurant. I loved it. Yeah, the wait was a little long, but I can get over it. Or, you know, the the food at this part of the resort wasn't my favorite, but the beach was great. That's a real review to me, something that carries a lot of a lot of weight. I kind of a, a tangent there. We're going to get rated well, on Yelp. part of it. We talked about when we talked about trust is that having a weakness and turning into a strength and they're revealing something that maybe the the wait was long or hey, go to the South Beach, not the North Beach or you don't want to stay at this side of the one or the people who are don't go here because they were rude. The little minor things that aren't a big deal because if I have to wait an extra five minutes for food, and but it's the best food in the world, then all of a sudden it's worth their wait. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty valuable tool. And I think that businesses that when, when it gets right down to it, businesses that genuinely focus on the customer experience are going to benefit from Yelp or whatever service it may be. It's social media. 
I've found tends to make people more of what they already are. And Yelp will probably continue to do that. You know, I've, I've heard, Kurt, that there's a, what you're saying here is that most human beings, if they see a lot of social proof, a lot of social validation, it's going to be good for them. Is there a small segment of the population who kind of goes against the grain, though, and, and doesn't like to have all that going for them? Yeah, you usually find about 5%, 10% of the population will always go against social norm, and they're probably usually your teenagers to want to do everything opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't have the frontal lobe developed yet, but every once in a while, people just do the opposite, just do the opposite. And, but for the most part, when you're dealing with 90, 95% of the people out there, they want that proof, they want the testimonials, they want that validation. And I think as people grow older, too, and that frontal lobe develops, like we talked about, that they tend to do that more and more. But there are certain people that will do the opposite no matter what you say. And that's when you do the reverse psychology and give them the opposite validation. They'll do what you want anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a couple of dark sides to social validation, one of them being what's called bystander apathy. Uh, what uh, What does that mean exactly? Well, bystander apathy. Well... That's an interesting one because we see it all the time. Basically, when we're in groups, we act differently than we're all by ourselves. The way we act at a football game at a concert is going to be different in that group situation. It's all, that's also called de-individuation. But the bystander apathy means that, let's say, 10 people are moving a couch. The apathy would be one person's not uh, trying as hard. It could be the famous uh, Catherine Genovese case in New York where she was attacked. Light came on and the, the attacker left. And the attacker came back and the light came on and the attacker left. It kept going on and on. And he killed this poor girl, but no one called the cops. And they're like, oh, those New Yorkers. But no, no, it was everyone thought somebody else did it. You know, that's bystander apathy. Or a lot of times in an accident, no one calls 911 because we assume somebody else would do it. And it's interesting. They actually did a study with this with college students where they would be uh, having a person that, taking a test and uh, the person was all by themselves retaking this test and they pumped smoke underneath the door. And 75% of those people went and got help. But then they put another two people. So there's three people in the room. The one person taking the test. The other two were Confederates. They were also taking the test. And they pumped smoke underneath the door and the person was looking around, but the other two weren't getting up. If they weren't getting up, must not be bad, but there's smoke, but they're not getting up. Now only 10% of those people went and got help. So a lot of times in a group situation, we don't try as hard. We act differently. A lot of times the way we do group presentations is going to be different than a solo presentation. But in group situations, persuading groups tends to be very different because it's not one-on-one. -on -one. We're now anonymous, and people a lot of times don't try as hard or do things that they normally would do one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what, I don't know, one or two things that, a persuader, a marketer, a business owner, because we, we have all of those that listen to the show. What what could they do to bring social validation into their business and into their sales scripts and their marketing in a positive way? Well, basically, how can you be on the top of the list? For our Las Vegas listeners, if you are the best in Upper Northeastern Henderson, <laughs> you're the number one in that area. So you have to ask yourself, are you following a trend? Is it the best-selling is there high demand? Is it the social norm? Everyone's doing it. Are you in the top 10? Are you the fastest growing? Are you the most popular? How can you get yourself in those terms as you're doing that? How can you show social proof? Even with people giving blood, I think it's less than 5% of the population will give blood. But when you have pictures of other people giving blood, 
it increases the chance that people are going to do it by 38%. You've been on a bus tour before, and you're getting off. You're all, thanks and thanks. And all of a sudden, there's a little thing that says, for tips, uh, thank you for your tip. And there's dollar bills in there. They've salted the tip jar. Like, oh, oh, the social norm. Other people have done it. You have to think, how can you borrow credibility from other people? How can you get a referral? How can you get a testimonial? How can you get other people to say that you are the best? It goes a long way. Whether you're going into a bookstore and you see the New York Times bestsellers, whether it's any a website, people know that you're the best, you're the top. Borrowing that credibility goes a long way because all my influencers out there, you know, when somebody recommends you how easy it is to influence that person and how very little resistance there is. Oh, absolutely. The, the referral client. So much easier to work with, yeah. So I am dunk. It's yeah. that easier because the reason they're good. Hey, if if Joe likes them and I like Joe and Tro trusts them and I trust Joe, done. Show me what you got. So basically, when it comes to people buying your product or service more often, there are certain social cues that you can control, that you can show them how to behave by putting certain things like the popularity of your product or here's what other people are doing or here's what other people like, putting that on display because they're looking. They're looking for what to do. And I, I think you recited a study once about the jaywalking in New York City where there were a crowd of people on an intersection waiting to cross, and the light was red. The little red hand was up. You can't cross. And one of the confederates of the study, in just regular street clothes, didn't look all that sharp, would cross. He would jaywalk, and nobody would follow him. But if it was a guy in a business suit looking really spiffy and he started crossing, more people followed him because of the validation and his status in society as well. Is it, Or did I just make that up? Is that real? <laughs> well, let me give you a little validation on that. It actually did happen. And it was in New York. and It was about two and a half times more people followed the suit across the street when they were jaywalking. They actually even did one. Remember New York, 33rd West and 42nd, they had 15 people stand by and look up, and there was nothing up there. But the more people that did it, <laughs> we look up, what's up there, something's up there, people are looking up there, and it goes a long way. We even see it, so we talk about New York, I think I've told you this before, is, is visiting my publisher. Hey, what show do you want to see? You want to see a Broadway show? Hey, I love a good show. Hmm, which one do you want to see? I'm, I'm not sure. So I went with a show that won all the awards, right? That's validation. So if it won all the awards, it must be what? It must be good. And I'm sitting there. I'm not going to name the show or the theater. And it was just rotten. It was terrible. I didn't like it. I didn't get it. And I'm thinking, do I leave? And it was finally halftime. All right. Well, anyway, it was finally, what's it called? Intermission. Intermission. <laughs> halftime. Finally intermission. Shows you where my brain's at. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's expensive. I got to stay. It's going to get better. People are liking it. No one else is leaving. I stay. And it was rotten. It got worse. And I could tell <laughs> it was finishing up. I'm like, oh, thank goodness it's about done. And I was looking around and people started walking in. I'm like, what? Who who would walk in with five minutes left? And both sides of the theater, people were walking, taking different seats. And one person even sat by the stairs. I'm like, what's going on? And when that show ended, these people stood up. They started clapping. And guess what I did? <laughs> before i even knew it i was standing up clapping thinking this stunk this was rotten but they yeah. got an ovation because <laughs> of that validation in fact it comes from the french term they call them clacks where they actually do it in, i used to do it in the old operas where they had plant people because if everyone's standing up clapping it must be me that's wrong everyone else is liking it and you get that social validation and it happens 
all the time. We always will believe somebody else before we believe the persuader. I've tried that before at the end of performances or whatever, when I didn't feel like getting up or I was lazy. I've told my wife, I'm not getting up to clap. And everybody keeps standing up. And you see these people just falling like dominoes. More people are standing up. And even me, the, the cranky guy with his arms folded, eventually is just like, oh, gosh, yeah, I better you stand know. up. You remember that seminar we did in Canada? I think it was Toronto where we had that really honorary lady in the back. And I think I told that story. She's like, I would never do that. I would never do that. You remember that? <laughs> I, I wasn't at that. I, I didn't make it. She's like, I would never stand up. I'd never do that. I would, I'm, I'm, she was one of that five percenters that do the opposite. And I go, well, do you, you go into someone's home? Do you take your shoes off? If everyone else does, does. No, I wouldn't do that either. I'm like, okay. And she's getting really mean and vindictive and it just kept getting worse and worse. And we were talking about that. And the guy next to her stood up and started clapping. <laughs> so everyone started coming up because she was just bringing this negative energy and everyone started clapping and i couldn't believe it as she stood up and started clapping too and started to apologize because she could see <laughs> that she was the only one with that opinion and, and it was really interesting to watch just got totally overwhelmed so were the, did the guy that stood up was he a confederate did you hire that guy he should have been a confederate i should have paid him <laughs> off no i didn't but he was really helping me out in that situation because that's part of it and even when I was, in the, I was doing this conference call once, and there was probably 50, 60 people on the line. I was going. I was doing my thing, and I thought I was on the right course. This lady interrupts me. says, hey, I speak for the group. You're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong course. You need to be talking about this, this, and this. And just kind of mean. Yeah. And my natural reaction as a human is I want to say, look, lady. You know, I want to slam. I'm like, hey, you know, this is putting my heart and soul here. I've been studying this for 20 years. What do you you can't do that as a presenter because you'll lose your whole audience. And so I had to get social validation. I had to open it up. I said, go, oh, well, I appreciate your opinion, even though I didn't. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, Hey, well, let me open it up to the group. Since you're speaking for the group, let's see what they have to say and where we want to go. And it was a beautiful thing where they called her pretty much every name in the book. <laughs> <laughs> they were saying, look, you don't speak for us and you're being up and you can fill in the blank and doing this. And it was a wonderful thing when she hung up and her negative energy was no longer there because I turfed it to the group, borrowed the social validation. Because if I would have slammed her, it would have just given her more validation and I probably would have lost respect with the group. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, there's people certainly go through all kinds of shenanigans to manufacture social validation, I guess, for lack of a better term, but I was watching some movie previews over the Christmas break and you know, all these different movies coming out. And there was one that hadn't come out yet. And I was noticing that it was critically acclaimed and nominated for all these awards. And I thought there's like 20 people that have seen this movie. <laughs> How is it nominated for all these awards? And it's one of those classic examples of the plant where they're, the general public doesn't have any access to this movie yet. And it's already being told that this is winning awards. This movie is awesome. And I, uh, yeah. That's kind of a big scam right there. Because if you look closely to all these testimonies, it's like, reader of Newsweek magazine says. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and these people, even when they do belong to great magazines and newspapers, they get invited. They get all these prizes, nice hotels. And if they give any negative valuations to any movie, they don't get invited back. Yep. And yep. so th that's part of it. In the past, it used to be that if there's a real stinker, they could take the best 30 seconds, show it on TV. And we're like, oh, we got to see that, even though that was the only good 30 seconds. We go and see her like, wait a minute. And they would have three or four weeks to get their money back. Mm -hmm. Now we know that day it comes out whether the fans have liked it or hated it. And that changes the playing field dramatically for the movie theater. Yeah. And it's and you see kind of the opposite sometimes, too, as long as we're on uh, apps here. You know, there's an app called Flickster 
where you can uh, look at movies around you that are playing and buy tickets and, and things like that. And, or in a service called Rotten Tomatoes as well that tells you what people thought. And it will say, you know, 72% of viewers liked it and 30% of critics liked it. And, and, and I've noticed there's usually a really big gap between mm-hmm. if, if the critics liked it or if the people liked it. And uh, usually the critics are harder on it. But <laughs> a lot of times you'll see 97% of critics liked it and 30% of viewers liked it. It's just that you guys are, the critics are coming from a totally different, uh, <laughs> different angle. You want to know here. why they call it Rotten Tomatoes? I, why is that? Well, a part of it is people throw tomatoes, but there's a movie called, uh, it's a cult classic, actually, Tack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, listeners, if you want a cult classic, you can go see number one, two, and I think there's a number three, but uh, you have to be uh, in a mood for that. But I think uh, just a real bad, uh, I don't even know how you make that movie good, but it's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Somebody had time to make three movies based on attacks about killer tomatoes. And somebody was persuasive enough to persuade the producer or the investor to pay for it. <laughs> wow. Hey, whoever you are, whoever the pitch man is for Rotten Tomato or Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I'd like to hire you. You are amazing. You are amazing. Yeah, you you could be our persuasion ninja. We'd love to hear that story. Oh, yep, yeah, that's official. Let's, let's go ahead and make it official. The pitch man for the movie Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> this week's persuasion ninja, because duh. Do I have to even explain this? <laughs> that's right you could pull that off you can sell anything that's well somebody who can't pull off i've got a homer simpson a persuasion blunder here's the sound don't 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 oh there it is give us the blunder there's the blunder and this happened probably 30 seconds before you and i started talking today and it was a voicemail that my office received and we're in the income property the investment property business we help people buy real estate that generates income and because we're in that business, we get all kinds of calls from people pitching all kinds of shenanigans to us. And this particular caller, and I'm I'm paraphrasing the voicemail that they left, Kurt, but we can talk about all the red flags here, called me and said, I have an investment project for you, and it's going very quickly, so you better call me back fast. And it's a 100% return on your money within 60 days. And you better call me while this is still around. Was this a cold call then, just out of the blue? You didn't know this person? I don't know who this person was. I mean, we just, they they get uh, our phone number off of our website, and they, they call pitching their shenanigans. And I obviously, I had about a million knee-jerk reactions and red flags go off as I'm listening to this. And anybody that in the investment business is automatically skeptical of, 100% return. I mean, this is the thing of, this is too good to be true. Now, I'm not saying that a 100% return on an investment is not possible. I'm not uh, I'm not going to be that condescending. I do know that it's very rare and uh, unlikely to happen. But the problem with it is from a psychological, from a persuasion standpoint, is that you say that and you lead with that earlier on your pitch, many people are just going to automatically tune out. We, As persuaders, we have to be careful to not have figures that are too good to be true. The figures need to be alluring. They need to pop off the page. They need to get in attention and generate curiosity. But it's certainly possible to go too far, isn't it? And that's what happened there to where, up oh, too good to be true. She's cold calling. If it's that good, wouldn't her neighbor do it? Wouldn't she do it herself? And all these things go through your brain as far as, wait a minute, what's going on? And she just 
went way out the scale to increase your skepticism. She had no credibility. She left a message where she got the Homer Simpson sound. She got Homer. Yeah, exactly right. If it's a 100% return and it's going fast like it is, like you say, why are you cold calling some company that doesn't even know who you are? If it really is as good as you say, it would not be around. Whether any of that is true is irrelevant, but it's what people think, what most people think. So, unknown lady, a Newsweek reader from Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> or wherever she's from, you are the Homer Simpson blunder of the week. Congratulations. And uh, we'll put your picture up on the... I think we ought to do a wall of shame on the Ooh, blog. That would be good. You made the wall of shame and then just have Homer just walking around the screen making a sound. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to have to start charging for the podcast, though, because we'll need a legal fund if we have a wall of shame. Yeah, we've probably crossed that line a few times. We'll have to wait for those uh, lawsuits to come. <laughs> Every time we say the name Homer Simpson, I think we <laughs> are in danger. <laughs> That's probably why people thought we hadn't aired the podcast for a few weeks. They're probably, oh, 20th Century Fox finally shut those clowns down. <laughs> well, we'll just have to get them as a sponsor, then we'll be okay. Thank yeah. you to 20th Century Fox for thinking about sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. Delivering incredibly entertaining film and media products for the last 50 years. Nobody does it like 20th Century Fox. Giddy up. That's right. Okay. Anything else today, Kurt? For example, the blunder. I mean, that's something easy you can fix. It has to be real. There has to be a reason for her to leave a message. Or We've talked about the Zagarnik effect, leaving something that's unfinished. If she said something like, yeah, I did a Google search and found the website, I don't know you. But, no, if you know, Frank recommended, I've heard of you, I saw you here, you did this, this is coming up, I need your opinion and advice, I found this. You know, something a little more realistic versus going right for the jugular, going way out there to where you lost all credibility, there was no trust. She did not get a return phone call, and she had just wasted her time. Yep. There you go. Well, everybody, thanks again for listening. We're glad to be back this first episode of 2014. Send us uh, your feedback at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com and have yourself a great week. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. 